This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. With the third pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. What should the Jets expect from you? Um, a lot of wins. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. In this week's episode, we're going to work through your Twitter questions, which are mostly a reaction to the Jets' second preseason game, a 15-14 to loss to the Washington Redskins. We're going to be joined by Scott Mason, uh, who hosts Play Like a Jet within our Turn on the Jets digital podcast network and has uh, been a huge part of supervising the expansion of our overall pod network. So we're going to dive right into it and start working through your questions. Scott, how you doing this Saturday morning when we're recording? I'm doing well, Joe, just uh, basking in the Teddy Bridgewater mania. Yes, the Teddy Bridgewater mania, which has been <laughs> insane. Why don't, before I jump into the questions, why don't I give my brief 90-second rant on the Jets' current quarterback situation? So my thought, and I've been pretty consistent with this, is that barring some type of disaster, injury, or extremely poor performance, the Jets should start Sam Darnold week one. And my thought is that, your goal is to have this team as competitive as possible from 2019 to 2022 when he's on his rookie contract. So you are setting yourself up to be more competitive in that window with him getting experience and learning this year rather than sitting on the bench. And with Bridgewater, the reality is is that he's on a one-year contract. He's not going to sign a long-term contract here. So you're probably looking at a situation where he walks in free agency if you don't trade him for something. You're not necessarily guaranteed to get a compensatory pick because the Jets are going to spend a lot in free agency next year, which is going to potentially cancel them out getting anything back for him. Now, where I think... My major disconnect is is that I think Bridgewater has been really good through two games, and I like Teddy Bridgewater. You could check everything I've ever said or written about him from the time he was drafted. I think he's a quality starting NFL quarterback, and I think that's kind of about it. I think best-case scenario, he goes back to being the guy he was in 2015, which is probably somewhere between the 12th and 15th best starting quarterback in the NFL. Pretty good. He had a loaded Vikings roster. They got into the playoffs, got knocked out in the first round by Seattle in that game. Uh, I think he's good. I don't think he's quite as good as some people are making him out to be, even with what his ceiling could be. And again, while I think he played really well in both games, particularly the Washington game, by showing mobility, avoiding sacks, and throwing down the field, context is that he was still playing against third and fourth stringers. And he was good. He was not absolutely lights out. He threw an interception. Uh, He was been better than Darnold, but maybe like 10% better than Darnold, which in my mind is not enough to completely flip the quarterback narrative on his head. Sam Darnold's not competing against Teddy Bridgewater. He's competing against himself. And if he shows he's ready, the Jets are going to do what they need to do to play him. Because frankly, that's just the pragmatic reality of his contract and what they gave up investing in him comparatively to what they gave up to Bridgewater. Right now, this is playing out exactly how the Jets want it to. Bridgewater is showcasing himself well as a trade piece. Darnold's playing well enough to look like he's going to start week one. We know they have no use for playing Josh McCown in the preseason. We saw that last year. So I think everyone's just knee-jerk reacting a little too hard to a game where Darnold was fine. I thought he was competent. He had an interception on fourth and one where he forced it into coverage. It's a turnover on down, so you try to make a play. With Bridgewater, really good in the second half. Had a couple beautiful throws, looked like he's fully healthy. Still, the gap is not that big between the two when you look at the entire body of work. This is not like Teddy Bridgewater's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. 
so I just think the reality of that situation is going to win out, and Darnold's still going to start against the Giants. And if he's competent in that game, he's still going to be the week one starter. So that was a, a long-winded two or three minutes there. What are your sort of initial reactions to the fans' take coming out of that game against Washington, Scott? I pretty much agree with what you said. Uh, I've I've been a little different than you on Darnold in the sense that I was okay with the idea that if Jeremy Bates didn't have him where he wanted as far as his mechanics and ball security and stuff like that, that I was okay with them sitting him a couple of games. And I still feel that way. However, from what we've seen in, in, in camp and talking to Daryl Slater every day for our camp reports and all that, to be able to see the progress that Donald has made as far as ball security and even his mechanics. They're not 100% perfect, but they look pretty strong compared to what we had seen in the past. He seems to be on the path to be ready. And like you said, this is kind of the best-case scenario. Going into this, if you were smart, you said to yourself, look, the best scenario here is Donald plays well enough to win the job, Bridgewater plays well in camp, and then they are able to trade him and pick up a pick. Because remember, Joe, the Jets don't have a second-round pick in this draft because they traded it to move up for Darnold. So, look, realistically, you're not going to get a second round or anything like that for Bridgewater because he still hasn't played in two years in a real game. And he also is coming off an injury where his leg was snapped in half. So you don't know what his situation is. Supposedly, he barely passed the physical initially. So we don't know how long he can hold up. He's looked good. Again, put it in perspective, it's mostly been against backups. And like you said, I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot. He was my number one rated quarterback coming out of the 2014 class. I think that when healthy, if he had continued on his path in Minnesota, he probably, like you said, somewhere in that 12 to 15 range, maybe if you're being super ambitious, he could have crept up a little higher, maybe around 10, somewhere in that range. He's a good, very solid, capable starting quarterback in the NFL if healthy. But again, a lot of questions with his health. And he's here on a one-year deal. And if Darnold's ready to play, he's never going to see the field, Teddy Bridgewater. And he's going to leave in free agency. And it's not like they're going to franchise tag the guy and pay him you know, $25 million after for not having played a game and then try and leverage a trade. I mean, I've heard people say, maybe you let Bridgewater play a handful of games and his value goes up. Okay, but you're really playing Russian roulette there because, A, if Darnold's ready, you're not doing him any favors by not playing him right away when he's your major investment. And, B, what if Bridgewater goes out there and doesn't play well or gets hurt again or whatever? So, to me, if you can leverage Bridgewater for, like, a fourth-round pick, that's the ideal scenario here. Maybe you get lucky and it's a fourth and, you know, it becomes a third if he starts X amount of games. There, we'll see what happens with other teams getting desperate for QBs. So far, nobody's really emerged in that category, but you never know. I mean, the Bucks may see enough of Ryan Fitzpatrick to realize that they need to make a move. Maybe uh, the Jaguars decide they want some sort of insurance for Blake Portals. But like you said, Joe, I mean, it, the, if you're being honest here, as, as much as we like Bridgewater and if the circumstances were different and they didn't have Darnold here, look, full speed ahead with Bridgewater. And that's why I liked getting him initially. I was nervous that it was going to preclude them from jumping up and that they were going to sit at six and just see how the draft fell. But the reason it was a good move in the first place is because he was young, he had upside, and you would hope that it's a low-risk investment and maybe he gets back to where he was. And so if he, if he continues to play well, if he plays well against the Giants, 
leverage him for a trade if you can, and move on with Darnold as long as Darnold continues to show that he can command the offense and that his mechanics are are better than where they were before and, and where Bates feels like he needs them to be. So pretty much I agree with what you said, and I, I think people that are jumping on this Teddy Bridgewater should start or you can't trade Teddy Bridgewater for anything less than a first-round pick or whatever are just being ridiculous because you've got to put this in perspective and be realistic. He was signed off the scrap heap a couple of months ago, barely passed the physical, hasn't played in a regular season game in two and a half years at this point. You can't possibly think that you're going to get more than a fourth-round pick. And you know that Donald is the guy, not just probably now, but for years to come, hopefully. So there's no spot on this on this roster for Bridgewater in terms of his value is being lost. He's just going to sit there all year, and you have McCown who can be your insurance policy in case of injury or in case Darnold has some sort of issue. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Joe. I think fans are, are getting pretty much insane over this whole thing, and they need to just remember what the plan was and trust the plan. All right. Our next question is from – our first question, I shouldn't say our next question, is from Kevin DeCamp. Would you trade Leonard Williams in a trade package for Khalil Mack? It's a pretty short answer for me. The answer is yes. Uh, I love Leonard Williams, Khalil Mack. <laughs> Khalil Mack's one of arguably the three or four best players in football and definitely in the three or four best defensive players in football. Love Leonard Williams, but he hasn't shown anything to show he's on that level yet. So if the Jets had to maybe get creative with a package and do a first-rounder or Leonard Williams – I think you got to be open to that discussion. I don't think anybody on the Jets roster right now outside of Sam Darnold's untouchable in a trade discussion if you're trying to acquire a player like Khalil Mack. It's just a, a unique situation, and the reality is is if you have Darnold and feel good about him and you have Khalil Mack, you're contending. You, know, you, you put around them whatever you want. You build up the offensive line a little bit. You're that set at quarterback and pass rusher and how the AFC is structured now. There's no reason you can't compete, so I would not hesitate to include him in any trade package. Yeah, I agree completely, and it's a matter of what's most valuable. I mean, I like I like Leonard Williams a lot. He's a good, not great player, and he's playing a position that's nowhere near as impactful as edge rusher. I mean, in collision low crossers, Nicholas Dawidoff talked about this. Eight per, only 8% of drives where there's a sack result in points scored. So that shows you how important, especially in a passing league, how important somebody like Khalil Mack is. Mack's in his prime. He's one of the top you know, two or three pass rushers in the league. People will say the Jets will have a ton of money and he'll be a free agent. Okay, maybe the Raiders franchise him, and even if they don't, what's the guarantee that he wants to come to the Jets? There is none. So if you have the opportunity to add him, you do it. People will talk about how there's edge rushers in this draft. A, we don't know where the Jets are going to draft in this draft. And B, listen, even if you draft one of these guys, is there any guarantee that he's going to turn out to be anywhere near as good as Khalil Mack, who, by the way, again, let's point out, is in his prime? So, yeah, I think absolutely you'd have to do it. I like Leo. I'd like to keep him. But if you can use him to get somebody who's a top three player at the second most important position in the league, a position, by the way, that the Jets have left barren for over a decade. You got to do it. There's no question. All right. Next question from Darn Zingis. Who do you think comes out alive from the wide receiver competition? Uh, as it stands now, I actually just released a, a new 53-man projection. I have six receivers making the roster and definitely not – a six that I think people would have expected when camp started. So the obvious four 
Uh, Robbie Anderson, Quincy Inouye, Jermaine Curse, and Terrell Pryor. Trey McBride, who's frankly outplayed Chad Hansen and Ardarius Stewart, along with Charles Johnson by a wide margin. And the sixth guy, Andre Roberts, is the returner. And you could say they don't need him as a returner, but Trenton Cannon muffed 86 punts in the preseason opener. Nobody else has stepped up to take that job. So I think the Jets carry six. I think they're going to end up carrying four tight ends, too, to be candid. And you look at a guy like Neil Sterling, he's kind of functioning as another receiver as well. So I, I just don't see the spot in the roster right now for Chad Anson or Darius Stewart. Yeah, Joe, if I were a betting man, and if I was, by the way, I would consult with the great people over at Razorsport.com because now that gambling's legal, you want to make sure that you're doing it the right way because you just don't want to play. You want to win, and you want to play and win like the pros. And in fact, John Razor and I talked the other day, and before the Jets game, he sent me a betting slip telling me that they had placed some action on the Jets in the preseason game. And I said, how could you possibly bet on a preseason game and feel confident? And he went through all the algorithms and all the information that he had that showed why the Jets were going to be a great bet in a preseason game, no less. And it turned out to be true. So listen, these guys know what they're talking about. Their results speak for themselves. Go to Razor Sport, that's R-A-Z-E-R sport.com, and sign up for a free trial today. Again, you don't want to just play like the pros. You want to win like the pros, and you can do that with Razorsport.com. And if I were consulting them about this wide receiver thing, what I'm sure that they would tell me, Joe, is the fact that you're looking at a situation where obviously Robbie Anderson is going to be here. Quincy Anunwin is going to be here. You're going to see Jermaine, Jermaine Curse here. Terrell Pryor, you would assume, will be here. Beyond that, what's going to happen? Trey McBride has outplayed Ardarius Stewart and Chad Hansen to this point, but the question becomes, does Mike McCagnin want to be stubborn and keep those two guys who just a year ago he drafted in the third and fourth round respectively? So I don't know. I mean, if it was me, I would I would get rid of Ardarius Stewart. I would keep Chad Hansen. I would keep Trey McBride if I'm keeping – six wide receivers, but then, like you said, you've got to deal with Andre Roberts because he's really the only one that can handle punt returns beyond, uh, you know, beyond uh, um, dealing with Cannon fumbling the ball a bunch of times, which in fairness, he never did that in college. So yeah, oh, it's a tough one. I, I, I can't see them cutting Hanson and Stewart. I think they may keep both and get rid of McBride, even though McBride probably earned it over those guys. And, man, I don't know. I guess they're going to have to find a way to squeeze Roberts on there. I don't know that they're going to carry three tight ends or four tight ends. I mean, it, it's tough because, yeah, you've got Sterling and you've got uh, Herndon and you've got uh, Tomlinson certainly going to be here as a uh, as a blocker, so maybe they keep those three. I don't know, man. Walford's a guy that, that's a dark horse. I, I, I can't see them carrying more then three tight ends. I just don't know that they have the roster space for it. So, man, it's going to be a tough battle, but I think ultimately they end up keeping Stewart and Hanson just because Max seems to be stubborn about getting rid of his own draft picks. Hey, that's a good integration onto an ad read right there where uh, we're getting smoother with our transitions. Uh, <laughs> all right, next question from Kalisafin. What have you heard or what do you think about Leonard Williams, Jamal Adams, and Darren Lee and the other younger guys? How have they looked so far through camp and through these two games? feel like everyone has just been watching the rookies and people trying to make the roster, but I haven't heard anything about the other guys. I think this is an interesting question because we were actually kind of talking about these three in our uh, TOJ little group chat uh, this morning. And I think for me, 
Where I have a slight sort of disagreement with, I think, what a lot of fan sentiment is, I think this defense, at least from a fan's perspective, is being slightly overrated on how good they could be. And I think where that gap comes in, I think the common a common Jet fan will probably tell you that Jamal Adams and Leonard Williams are all pro caliber players. They're among the best players in the league at their position. That's a done deal. It's been decided already. And they would say that Darren Lee is a central piece of this defense and en route to being another breakout star on this defense. For me, I'm not ready to go all the way there yet. With Darren Lee, he has been a below-average NFL player through two years. He has not looked great so far in the preseason, and I think it's more likely than not that he is not an NFL starting inside linebacker uh, rather than someone who's going to be an above-average starter. Maybe the, he settles somewhere in the middle where he's an okay starter, but I don't know if he's getting a second contract with this team, and I think automatically assuming that he's a very good starter just because of where he was drafted is incorrect. I don't, I don't think anyone would objectively look at what he's done in the NFL and say, yeah, the Jets got a really good inside linebacker there. Maybe that changes this year, but we need to see it. And a little more maybe controversially with Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams – I think as it stands now, those two guys project to being good to very good starters. We have not seen anything yet that shows that they're going to be first-team All-Pro players, uh, that they're going to be among the 10 best defensive players in the NFL. They certainly have the draft pedigree of it. They have the physical talent to do it. Uh, Leonard Williams has been good to very good, occasionally great so far in his career, but his first few years are no better than Muhammad Wilkerson's or Sheldon Richardson's were, and those guys are really good players. Uh, but you know, you kind of see where they've you know ended up at now. Now, I'm not saying the same thing's going to happen to Leonard Williams, who's still very young, but he's not an All-Pro player yet. It's just it's just a fact he hasn't hit that level. So maybe he hits it this year, and if he does, I think we're having a different discussion about the Jets' defense. The same goes for Jamal Adams, who. Had a good rookie year, not a great rookie year, didn't get any votes for a defensive rookie of the year, was not a pro bowler, an all-pro player. If he takes that jump forward this year, we're having a different discussion about the Jets' defense, but it hasn't happened yet. You know, As it looks now, we know he's going to be a good starter. Is he going to be somebody who's unquestionably one of the best safeties in the NFL up there with guys like... Uh, Eric Weddle and some of the other people who are Earl Thomas, who are regularly thrown around, has uh, elite players at that position. We'll find out in the next year or two, but it's not hasn't been proven yet. So I think this unit has some talent, uh, but it's got a lot of question marks. They're extremely weak at pass rusher. They potentially could be extremely weak at inside linebacker. I think the secondary looks very good on paper, but. If injuries hit, Marcus May has a tough time coming back from his injury. Morris Claiborne gets banged up. It gets kind of shaky back there fast. This feels like a unit that's, I don't know, probably finishes in the 15 to 19 range for me rather than maybe the 7 to 12 range that I think most of the fans expect. What do you think overall, Scott, about those guys? The problem with Lee is he's a really good athlete, but his instincts are poor and his technique is poor. And so you see a lot of stuff like what you saw the other day in the game against the Redskins where he was just out of position, getting run over uh, in the run game and, and so on and so forth. He'll make some plays and you'll, they'll show up sometimes where you'll be like, oh, okay, because you can see that raw athletic ability. But far too many times he's in the wrong spot or he's just not making the play, and that's a big problem. I don't think he's going to see a second contract. I don't even think the Jets are going to pick up his rookie option at this point, and I don't think they should. It was one of the more underrated bad picks 
by Mike McCagnan because, you know, he obviously gets a lot of crap for Hackenberg and Devin Smith, and rightfully so, for differing reasons. But that one was actually a really bad pick, and there were a lot of guys that he could have had in that spot that he didn't take. So that's one where, you know, I'm sure he'd like to have it back. As far as Williams, I agree. Good to very good player, not great. He hasn't really necessarily lived up to the billing that he had coming out of USC. I think he's a, a, a going to continue to be a very good player, but I don't think he's. I just I don't think that he's going to be that JJ Watt type of special talent on that defensive line, the kind of guy that can, you know, really. Let's put it this way: the guys like JJ Watt and and special players like that, they beat double teams all the time, rather than having fans go, "Well, he's getting double teamed." Of course, he's not getting X or Y or Z. So. I think you're, what you said about him not necessarily being all that much better or somewhere in the same range as Muhammad Wilkerson and, and Sheldon Richardson is true. Both guys were very good, borderline Pro Bowl players, but I don't see him as an elite player. And look, there's nothing wrong with having a very good player on the defensive line. I just, like you said, I think some of the fans overrate him. As far as Adams goes, look, it's a wait and see. His first year was, his rookie year was pretty good. It wasn't amazing. But the thing with him is that you saw flashes. You saw some special instincts and certain athletic ability that you just don't see out of a lot of players. Just his, his understanding of the field, where to be, when to be there, and the fact that he's such a, a born leader and, and a field general, so to speak. I think he has the potential. If it, there, I think, honestly, aside from Darnold, and I'm going to throw this current class out because we have to see what they do first, but of the guys that have actually played for the Jets to this point, the only one that I look at and say that guy could be an all-pro is Adams. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but I think he definitely could reach that. I think he could be a top, you know, three or four safety in the NFL. Whether or not it happens for him, we'll see. He may want to spend more time working on that stuff and less time name-searching himself on Twitter. But I think that he, of those three guys, I mean, I think Lee is actually below average. Williams is good, but I think people go crazy with him. And I think Adams, look, let's not put him in Canton yet. He's not Troy Palomalu, but I do think that he has a chance to be a very special safety uh, if he reaches his ceiling. All right, next question here uh, from Mike Tito. What would you anticipate the Jets' plan will be for playing time at the quarterback position for the Giants game on Friday? I'm going to tell you that, and I could also tell you that you're going to be able to watch whatever that plan is with myself, with Connor Rogers, and with the rest of the Turn on the Jets crew at Willie McBride's in Hoboken, New Jersey, on 6th and Grand. Uh, we're going to get there around 7 o'clock. Watch the game, hang out with everyone, record a podcast around halftime, early into the third quarter, and uh, have some beers and enjoy those drinking food specials. So we're going to be working with Willie McBride's all season. Make sure to check them out if you're in the North Jersey area, and definitely come hang out with us this Friday night for the Jets and Giants game. That's 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey. Now, what I think is going to happen with the quarterback... I think they're going to start Sam Donald again. I think he's probably going to play the whole first half. And then I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to play the whole second half. So basically exactly what we saw last week. Maybe Bridgewater gets a series or two in the third quarter with the starters. I don't think we're going to see Josh McCown, just like we didn't see him in the third preseason game last year. And I still think Donald is the guy on track to be QB1. So I know that's not a flashy or surprising answer, but that's generally what I expect is going to happen. Yeah, I agree. I don't really have much to add, to be honest. I think it'll be half Bridgewater, half Darnold, 
And that's more or less what the plan is going to be. They don't seem to care too much about getting Josh McCown any preseason reps, just like last year. And it's pretty much it. That's all there is to it. All right. Last question here before we wrap uh, from Bill Goodbulb. Why isn't Darnold pushing the ball down the field? Really low YPA. Anything we can glean from this? Look, I think his YPA has definitely been low. Uh, It's something to look at. I think... If you really look at all of his passes, though, the Jets have him working more so in the short to intermediate passing game than the deep passing game. I think his YPA, particularly when it's compared to Bridgewater, the gap's not quite as big as I think initially it looks. Because if you look, Bridgewater had, I think, a 35-yard completion on a check down to George Atkinson. He had that 17-yard touchdown to Isaiah Crowell, which was a two-yard check down. Uh, so that has kind of bumped up the number a little bit. I think Darnold did push a nine route to Trenton Cannon in week one, and Cannon for as many times as I watched the play, and I can't 100% confirm it, really seemed to look over the wrong shoulder and not run the route the right way, so that was a little less on him. But Darnold, I think particularly in the first game, has not been shy about looking a little further down the field. It's when he hit Walford. It's when he hit Johnson for that touchdown. So, look, I I think it's something to mildly be concerned about at this point, but it's only been two games, so it's a pretty small sample size. I am curious if the Jets let him take more of a – traditional swing down the field to Robbie Anderson or Terrell Pryor, who probably will play against the Giants. So something to keep an eye on, but not something to panic about yet. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah actually had a really interesting take on this yesterday where people were criticizing Donald about this. And he said, look, Tom Brady doesn't throw down the field a million times a game. It's those short, precise routes that open things up for when he decides he wants to do it. And that's really where, where a guy like Brady lives most of the time is just moving the chains and, and what have you. I think when it comes to Donald, too, what people forget is they're trying to take things slow with him. There's no reason to you know, throw him out there and just say, go have fun, do whatever you want. They're going to limit the playbook a little bit, restrict him. They want to make sure that he's comfortable. To an extent, it's a little bit like what they did with Hackenberg in the preseason last year, although not quite as bad. Last year, Hackenberg basically wasn't allowed to throw anything but screen passes, it seemed. But I think they're just making sure that Donald is comfortable in doing the basic things before they start going crazy. But it'll open up. I mean, look, like I said, the main thing is those short, precise routes – those are what opens up the shots down the field. And most of the the offenses in the NFL don't throw super deep passes down the field, but most of it is, you know, between 5 and 15 yards. Uh, generally, I think it was under 8% or uh, Mark Schofield had this. I want to say the number was 6% of throws uh, down are, are more than 20 yards down the field. So, yeah, you want to see the yards per attempt go up. Like you said, Bridgewater was bumped up a little bit by the fact that there were some serious yards after catch on some of those plays. But, again, it's just the preseason. They're just getting him comfortable, and you can't get too worried. The main thing is you want to go back and watch his USC tape, and you'll see very clearly that all the things that – people are talking about now him not doing whatever he's fully capable of doing them they're just working him in slow and making sure that he's comfortable with each thing before they really fully unleash him to the complete extent of his capabilities so like you said joe i wouldn't really get too worried about it trust the film and don't get too wrapped up in a couple of quarters of preseason action 
All right, we are going to wrap up this podcast. Uh, I think we're going to roll it out probably Saturday. Uh, we're recording it on Saturday, so if there's any breaking news between now and a couple hours from now when we publish it, don't hold it against us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I will be back with a new episode Thursday, uh, previewing the Giants-Jets game, which will take place Friday night. Make sure to hit us with a rating on iTunes. We're about 38 away from 250. So let's hit that milestone. Give me a follow on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. Give Scott a follow on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And make sure to subscribe and leave a rating to Play Like a Jet on iTunes. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week.